Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Brilliant. Um, it's so good to um, be with you again. Sorry we have to continue to do it online. It's just the way it has to be now. And um, as Robbie said, um, with the further restrictions now to Easter, it looks like um, it's not going to be any different for a few weeks anyway. But we um, are keeping pressing on, keeping praying on, and um, trying to connect as best as possible in these precarious times. So um, uh, thanks again to the worship guys this morning. They're going to be back at the end as well. I've asked them to do a song at the end, which is a special song. And uh, thanks to Robbie for leading us so powerful this morning. We're in the third week of our prayer course, um, this 16-week journey, which we're really excited about. I know I really am, and Dave and the guys, our elders, are excited about this too, because it's a thing that everybody finds so easy after all, isn't it? Prayer, um, not. Um, and again, I say this is week three. We're going to be talking on adoration this week, and uh, our life groups, as Robbie rightfully says, running alongside the theme um, which is really good. And our aim through this all, as you will have picked up in the little video, and Pete Gregg's little video, is just to give you a toolbox. And it came in response to Jesus' disciples asking them, uh, asking him, Lord, teach us to pray. Just the way you just prayed, would you teach us to pray like that? And um, out of that question, Lord, teach us to pray, which Dave and I both unpacked over the last two weeks, um, Jesus gives them this pattern of prayer. That's what it is. We call it the Lord's Prayer. It's probably more rightfully the disciples' prayer. The real Lord's Prayer is in John 17, which is very powerful. But, um, of course, we've known it over the years as the Lord's Prayer, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, My job this morning, as I say, is to talk to you about adoration. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be um, your name. Or in the old original way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, which is the way probably most of us were taught it in school and elsewhere in Sunday school. And the word hallowed is an interesting word in the original word, in the original Greek. I'm not going to try and pronounce that, but it means to make or or to, to render or declare as sacred or holy or to revere. It's a It's a term to place this name in a place where no other name exists, all right? It's it's pretty incredible. So when Jesus instructed his disciples to say, hallowed be your name, he was declaring that God's name is holy, and we are to show reverence to that name. That's simply what it means. And so when I say, hallowed be your name to the Lord, I revere his name above every other name. I get the picture sometimes when I do this, I get the picture of, a. I think of the, the biblical revelation of God as the tip of an iceberg floating in a notion of mystery. That's how I feel about it at time, about the name of God. Nine-tenths of God's majesty lies beneath the surface of revelation And the tip of the iceberg revealed in Scripture is so high that it extends beyond the clouds out of sight 
of anyone's ability to fully comprehend what it is. So only a sort of a tenth of the character of God is given to us in this age for our contemplation, and even that is so great that we will never exhaust all of its riches. And so if I were to tell you today that I found prayer really easy in my life, I'd be lying, and you would know that because most of us struggle with it in some shape or form. And so for me, it has been a lifelong discipline, something that I've had a discipline, something that I've known I've needed. One of the things that I've noticed in any of my spiritual wildernesses that I've been in, they've usually those wildernesses have usually accompanied a season of weak prayer or a weak prayer life. I was ignoring the path that would not only actually lead me out of the wilderness, but would keep me from going into it in the first place. And so we frequently speak about the need to pray, but often we forget about the hows to pray. And so that's what we want to do over the next number of weeks, over the next three months or so, is to encourage you in the hows to pray, rather than just you need to do this, you need to do this, but encouraging you in some of the hows. And we know that verses like James five sixteen, which tells us that the fervent prayer of a righteous person avails much. The ESV puts it this way, that it accomplishes much in its working. I love that. So there's a, an accomplishment in, in prayer when it's fervent. And he, as I say, Jesus' disciples caught something in Jesus' way of praying that they wanted to know, and hence they asked this question, yeah, Lord, teach us to pray. Now, interestingly, when Jesus starts to teach them how to pray, the first thing he does is adoration. The first thing he talks about is worship. The first thing he talks about is how we actually revere the name of the Father. Interesting, isn't it? And all the other things um, follow on. But this was the, the first thing. It's a focused time. Worship is a focused time when you dedicate your whole self to God. And we have an incredible heritage here in Emmanuel now, almost 25 years old, um, facing in, in its second generation. We were built in worship. We fell in love with worship, it's the core of our being, and every church has a culture, just as every home has a culture. If I were to go into your home, I wouldn't understand some of your little sayings. You come into my home, you wouldn't understand some of our little cliches. Well, worship and adoration and prioritizing the presence of God has been our culture from day dot, and we've wanted to breed it into the generations to come, teach it to your children and to your children's children, the vast importance of worship. And worship is a big part of the Bible. It breaks down strongholds. You remember stories like Joshua marching around the city of Jericho, blowing the trumpets. You remember Jehoshaphat, who got his singers to sing ahead of the, the battle, and God completely obliterated and defeated the enemy. And I understand that worship is more than singing. I do understand that, that worship is a lifestyle, but it is also about singing. It is also about talking. It is also about lifting your voice and telling God just how wonderful He is. Now, and, and here's the thing. You get to do something that not everybody can do. When you worship, you tick off the devil for a start. When you worship, you tick off the demons. And I know you don't tick off angels, but when you worship, you get to do and say things that even they can't say. You can sing the song of the redeemed. You can say, God, you loved me. You saved me from hell. You lifted me out of the merry clay and you set my feet on a rock. The angels can't sing that. We can. 
And one of the reasons that worship is so important is that we live in a society that's driven by music. And uh, so let's turn in our Bibles to a passage of Scripture where Jesus talked about worship. You'll maybe have got there before me. It's in John chapter 4. And Jesus has went a sort of a, a long route to meet this woman. If I don't want to get into the story now, but he has went with a specific purpose in mind to meet this woman at Sykers Well. This woman was a, a woman who had been with six men, um, and, and, and now she'd met her seven. She'd met Mr. Perfect, that's for sure. <laughs> and um, and this woman was coming to draw water in the middle of the day because in the early hours, whenever the other women would have come, she maybe was the, 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 the means of dividing and splitting many homes in this small area. And, this, and, and so she wouldn't have been welcome with the others. And Jesus is there to meet her. And he says, Jesus replied, verse 21, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. Now, the Samaritans and the Jews worship differently, all right? They worship very differently. He says, you Samaritans, Jesus says, know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But he says there is a time coming, indeed is here now, when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, and those who worship must worship him in spirit and in truth. You are a spirit being. This is what he's saying. You, the, 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 you know that life comes into you when you draw breath. Something happens as your spirit comes in contact with the Holy Spirit. You, this, is what, this is how Paul put it. I, I couldn't put it any better in this. This is how the Apostle Paul puts it in the book of Romans. He says, you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you've received God's spirit when he adopted you as, your, as his own children. Now we call him Abba, Father, Daddy God, for his spirit. And this is, get this in your mind, his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. You ask me how I know he lives? He lives within my heart. We have a biblical order of worship. When you go to passages like Psalm 100 that talks about entering his gates with thanksgiving and, and entering his courts with praise, all of these biblical mandates of worship. But God had a plan on how to instruct his people to worship, and he chose a boy called David long, long ago. And long before he was a king. And David wasn't chosen because he could sing and dance. He could do both. He was chosen because he could fight. All right? He was a, he was a fighting king, and he was going to accomplish much for God. He was sold out for God, and though not perfect, God created through him a Davidic covenant um, that teaches us how to worship. When David set up his worship school, it went for 40 years, night and day. Never stopped. 40 years. Imagine the rotation of worship leaders to keep that thing going. For 40 years, David was sold out. And we can trace this away back to a field, believe it or not, where a young boy was training to be a shepherd and learning to be a musician and a worshiper. And combining these two, he was training to be a warrior. And being a worshiper and being a warrior, um, because we defeat stuff, 
when we get into that place with God. And this is why adoration is so, so important. This is why our worship is so important. Some people, maybe not of late, but back several years ago, some people complained that our prayer times, we sang too much. We worship too much. Well, your worship is an intercession. And there's something when we worship and we pray and we mix those two things because worship is being a warrior when we're doing it with the right motive. And every time we read of David, he's going higher and higher because the anointing is doing that. And when we meet him in 1 Kings 17, there's a boy coming with a packed lunch for his brothers. All of a sudden, we see him killing a giant. Then we see him, the people singing, Saul has killed his thousands. David's is 10,000. Up and up and up, the, the, the anointing of God takes him. This boy who killed a giant with a rag and a rock, you can do much with little when God is in it. And so this incredible, this is what made him great. This is what drew him into one of the most incredible and interesting kings that we have on record. He realized early in his life that adoration and worship was a heart issue. He realized that if he could connect with God in this way, something would change in his life. And he connected with God through his words and through his worship. And God done incredible things through him. That's why if our heart is not right, then the opposite to worship is idolatry. All right, and um, instead of being it about God, then it, it's about us. And sometimes we've seen that, and we've, we've, we remember that old song, when the music fades, when the music fades, and it's all stripped away. It's about God. Worship is about who he is, not about who we are, not about how good we can play our instruments, not about how good we can preach, not about how good our voice is. Worship is about extolling adoration to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. I love Augustine put it this way. He said, idolatry is worshiping something intended to be used and using a God that is intended to be worshiped. It's okay to ask God to meet your needs. That's okay. And there's a time and place for that. But when it comes to worshiping, it's about just being there for who he is. Imagine just coming into his presence because you love being with him. That's, I said this a couple of weeks ago. You remember those dating nights, those when you were dating your, your spouse and, and, and those nights that you didn't actually set out a big agenda and a big plan. You just were together and you could spend hours together and there'd be no agenda to it. Now that maybe romance has faded because everything's agended and everything is trying to fit this into this and time into and, and on and on it goes. And so many relationships suffer. Well, it's the same with God. God. We need to be going into the presence of God with no agenda. We need to be going into the presence of God, yes, with our shopping list of times, but there are those times that we just need to be crawling onto Abba's lap just to love in Him and allow Him to love on us. That's, that's something really special. And if you lose that perspective, like many of the kings did, you begin to serve idols and you miss God. And that's sad. So I think more and more what we need to do and what we need to prioritize even in this lockdown period is becoming people of the presence, people of the presence, people that are, are noted because they're presence people, they carry something. You know when you're in their company that there's something about them, there's something different about them. We're not concert driven, we're not performance driven, we are all about being presence driven. We want to present the presence of God and I could put 
I could fill the screen 20 times over this morning with even verses from the Psalms, like these verses here, Psalm 95. Come, let us sing for the joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Psalm 1611, you will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasures of living with you forever. On and on I could go. You just need to read the Psalms yourself and loads of other scriptures. But not only people of the presence, but carriers of the presence. Uh, there's a great story in First Chronicles 15. It's a daunting, sad story, but a powerful story where David decides to bring the presence of God, which was marked by the Ark of the Covenant, back into Jerusalem. It had been stolen by the Philistines and had brought much um, curse upon them because they didn't know how to handle the presence of God and they were idolaters. And so um, David goes and he gets it and he's bringing it back into Jerusalem. He puts it on a new cart, brand new cart, never used before. You can imagine how he picked this, especially for this job. And it's coming along by the threshing floor and, and it hits a bump in the road and it goes to Coggle and the Ark of the Covenant went to fall off the cart and Uzzah, this guy called Uzzah, put his hand to stop the, the, the ark from falling, and he fell down dead. And David was devastated, um, and, and, and the, the ark was parked there for three months. And the three months it was there, it, was, it just brought blessing after blessing after blessing upon the family where it was parked. As a matter of fact, when it was brought away from that family, this is a story for another day, that family actually came with it and never left it. It's the most incredible story. And so what happened was that, 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 that David began to realize that he was, he was supposed to carry the presence. He wasn't supposed to wield the presence. There was a specific way. There was an anointed way that the Levites were to put poles through the, 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 the loops in the, in the ark, and they would bear it upon their shoulders, and they would carry it. It wasn't meant to be wheeled. And some people want to wheel the presence of God into church and then park it there and pick it up next Sunday rather than, rather than have him in any other part of your life. You can't wheel God about and park him here and there. You've got to carry the presence of God. You've got to bear the weight of that. There's something about carrying the weight of his presence. If you wanted to meet Boris Johnson today, you'd probably have to wait a few days and the chances of meeting him would be pretty slim. The queen probably not going to get a chance to meet her at all. Even you want to meet me, you might have to wait a day or two with busy schedules and all of that. But here's the thing. The, the, the almighty God of heaven, the almighty God who breathed the universe into existence with the word is at your back and call right now. You can climb into his presence right now with no waiting, with no appointment. You can come before him. Just close your eyes and invite him into your heart uh, and that one who blew life into mankind and, as I say, created the universe will be right there. This week in Life Group, you'll watch the little video of Pete and um, Greg um, looking at the parts of the Lord's Prayer through the acronym of PRAY, P-R-A-Y, P for pause, R for rejoice, A for ask, and Y for yield. And these are from his book, How to Pray. It's a great book. And, um, and so what we're asking you to do this week is just to pause. Pause. You know, sometimes the best way to start something is to stop something. <laughs> 
Sometimes the best way to start is just to stop and get a little bit of recollection and see where you're going. Prayer is intimacy with God. This is the Eden mandate for man to enjoy God in deep communion. God coming down in the cool of the day to walk with man. And the Lord's Prayer begins with, Our Father, Abba, Dad, a welcome and a family framework for entering into conversation. And Jesus modeled this life of intimacy with the Father in the New Testament. Jesus took time to pause. It is a place where we're reminded of our true identity, sons and daughters of a loving, heavenly Father. And of course, we know that Jesus, even after his baptism, the Father affirmation reminds us the thing that he wants to tell us most. You're my son, and I love you, and I'm well pleased with you. The journey of learning how to pray has to start with abiding in his presence. If we don't get the abiding in his presence, we'll never get the true value and nature of prayer. It comes from abiding, hearing his voice, how to share our lives with him. And this intimacy with God is characterized by worship. Hallowed be your name. And we move from that stillness and rest to adoration and wonder. And sometimes it's just lovely in the mornings, I find this lovely to do, where you just sit and relax in the presence of God, and then you just begin to tell God how wonderful he is. Now, God isn't egotistic. It's not that God um, is requiring uh, worship to feed his ego. It's just God knows how this thing works. He knows that when we adore him, when we put him in the right place, then blessing and anointing come. And as we become aware of who he is, we pour out our love and affection to Jesus. We praise him for who he is. Worship is the most natural and the only legitimate response to being with God. (laughs) There's no other way to put it. And sometimes I find when I spend... Um, time with God in that way I find that words just get on the road and, and words don't actually fully describe um, who he is and that's why it's important to have a, a prayer language so there's something really powerful about this prayer and worship flow together they should not be put in different compartments and we do this wee bit here and we do this wee bit here we come into communion with God as we worship God and we align our hearts with him and we align our hearts with the lordship of Jesus and what actually happens is we come into partnership with the God of heaven and we pray things like God may your will be done may your kingdom come and be on earth through me as it is in heaven We co-partner with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Prayer is the primary way and the only way I think that we co-partner with God. We speak forth and we pray into being the things of his heart. And we call this intercession, which we're going to look at in further studies. I'm excited about that. But Jesus dialogued with the Father and only declared those things which the Father told him to do. John 5 reminds us of that. And we ask with faith as we mature, And we learn how to persevere in prayer. And we talked about that last week where we begin to pray things through rather than just for things. We start to actually carry things with us in our hearts. Prayer starts and finishes with surrender. Of course, we know that. We open up our clenched fist in his presence and we say, God, we're holding on to nothing. We're giving it all 
to you. We yield to his purposes, just like Jesus done. Not my will, Father, but yours be done. God, I wouldn't have done it this way, and I would have preferred you to have done it another way, but God, it's not my will, and you have the big eternal perspective, and I don't, so your will be done, not just mine. We yield to him by asking for forgiveness of sins, by by learning to confess, we yield to him, and we gain protection from the evil one. Uh, this, I suppose, is a, we often call it the prayer of relinquishment, where we relinquish our desires and our wants and our little things into his presence. Now, as we bring this into land, there's a couple of things I want to say to you, and then I want to tell you a little personal story um, that's um, quite personal to me about worship. Um, what does it mean to say that God is holy? Well, it, it, it means that he's different from anything else. He's different from anything we, exper- anything we, we can experience in the material universe, that God is the creator and he differs from his creatures. That's what it means to say you're holy. The primary way in which God differs from all of his creatures is that he is uncreated, <clears throat> and he's eternal. He's eternal God. Whereas each of us is created and finite. We're not eternal in these mortal bodies. We're temporal. But God is eternal. And if nothing else separates the creator from the creature, it is that high, transcendent, which is just a, a fancy word to say, more beautiful than anything you can ever imagine that transcendent element of God's own being, so marvelous and so majestic and so worthy of the adoration of every creature. And it's why um, Paul, when he writes to the church at Corinth, um, he, he talks about this in 10.3, Corinthians 10.3. Listen to what he says. For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. Isn't that beautiful? We are actually destroying strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ. A spiritual battle cannot be won with physical weapons. Do you know that? A spiritual battle cannot be won with physical weapons. One of the greatest weapons in our arsenal of weaponry is worship, adoration, adoration. When we start to put God in the proper place, worship focuses us on God. Did you know that? It focuses fully on God. And when we truly worship, we take every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is what it says here. You cannot worship and be tempted to sin. You can't worship and lust. You can't worship and lie. You can't worship and hate. You can't worship and covet. You can't worship and gossip. You can't worship and cheat on your spouse. You can't do any of those things because worship centers us on the person of Christ. So guys are going to come and sing a song for us because worship is about victory. Worship is about victory. All right? Worked for Israel. It worked for Peter. It worked for Paul and Silas in a prison. Shook the places to uh, uh, an earthquake came and broke them all out of prison. It'll work for us. Um, let me tell you a little story. Um, many of you know bits and pieces of my story, and most of you, I'm sure, do. But back just 15 years ago now, which coming on the 23rd of March, my wife Jill died suddenly. 
And um, it was traumatic. It was a sudden death. It wasn't, um, she wasn't ill in any shape or form. And um, so the trauma of that was threw us into an abyss of, of despair. Weeks passed and months passed. And um, I remember I was sailing a sandbarge part-time in Loch Ness for my brothers. And I was coming back across Loch Ness on the sandbarge. And I was, it wasn't in a good way. And I said to God, God, I, I'm not dead sure what to do. And I felt God say, Phil, you need to get back to worshiping me. I'll never forget it. And uh, I said, God, I, I'm not dead sure how I know to do that anymore. And I'm not dead sure how to praise in a time like this. And I remember God saying to me, it's not about what you praise for. It's about who you praise and it was just a little moment, and I, I remember realizing, wow, the Bible says that in everything give thanks, not for everything give thanks. And so I, as best I knew how, I set my Bible down, and I tried to pull myself together, and I began to worship God. I began to hallow his name. And I began to think, he's beautiful. He's God. He's holy. Um, I don't understand him, but I love him. And I wept through that. I remember the brokenness of that moment. But something changed in my life that day. I got home and I rang our then worship pastor. was a guy called Neil Guinea. And Neil and Danielle worked here in church. They're great friends, still are. They serve in Canada now in the same capacity in the worship in a church in Canada. And Neil, Neil was our worship pastor. And I phoned Neil and I said, Neil, would, would you do me a favor? Could you come to the house tonight? And could you worship in the house? And so Neil arrived with his guitar, no song, choice, no agenda, just new song unto the Lord, began like a minstrel in my living room to play his guitar and to worship God, to tell God how great he is. I lay on the sofa night after night. This went on. He came several times, and I would lie on the sofa and weep, and he would, he would extol and worship God in my room. And the presence of God, listen, there's something beautiful about this. And the song I've asked the guys to sing is Raise a Hallelujah. Listen to it. Raise a Hallelujah in the presence of your enemies. <laughs> Remember Psalm 23, it says that he, he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now, I'd love that to say he'd clear all our enemies out of the road and then we'd sit and dine with him. But that's not what he says. He says he prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So you raise a hallelujah in the presence of your enemies. You raise a hallelujah louder than your unbelief. You raise a hallelujah because your weapon is a melody, believe it or not, and you raise a hallelujah. And you know what happens? Heaven comes to fight for you. Worship is a weapon. And so as we sing this song, it might be for one person, it might be for several people this morning, but maybe you're just going through a wilderness at this moment in time, and what you need to do is just sing a little louder. You just need to sing a little louder. You need to lift his name and worship. And so as we play and worship, if you're struggling in your spiritual walk, you need to maybe feel that your enemies are about to overcome you. Whatever your need, 
wherever you are, you need to worship. Victory will come when you worship. I'm a product of that. It, it, it worked for all of these people in the Bible. It, it worked in my life. Did it fix everything? No. But victory started to emerge. Victory started to come. You began to realize that God was in the midst of your brokenness, that God was in the midst of your saddest days, that God was in the midst of your grief, that God is still God. And one day the eternal plan will be made known to us all and we'll all see it a little clearer. There's a number on the screen at the end and the number is 0333-050-3223. It's our emergency response number. We have loads of different avenues to that. And if you need help, ring that number, please, will you? Just ring that number and um, let us know. We'd love to get in contact with you, to pray with you. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you say, I I need this Jesus that you're talking about. I need this. Well, it's a simple thing. The Bible says all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So you ring that number, get in contact with us, and we will um, follow that up. But um, we're going to worship. Let's do this as our closing prayer, and I'll come back and say a really short prayer after these guys have finished singing the song. But listen to the words, will you? Make these words your, your anthem today. Make these words because there's power. They're incredible words as we sing them. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.